Welcome to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast, your crackerjack clinical insurgents transforming transgressors and rehabilitating rogues. What is up, Gorilla Social Workers? Sorry for our delay in posting, but we've been busy. That's no worry because today's episode is fire. Your hosts, Jeff, Ginger Ninja Moore, and yours truly, Mace Warren, interviewed our guest, Russell Pearson. Russell recently graduated from his Master's of Social Work program after a long, hard road back from 43 felonies, prison, and addiction. He's got a great story for everyone, and I know you'll enjoy it. Today's five-star rating is brought to you by Beer Beard, the secret beverage dispenser. The Beer Beard is so much more than the world's first face-mounted secret beverage dispenser. It's a great way to regain your freedom, alleviate awkward public stares, and feel great all day. Going to the big game? How about a concert or an art show? Just fill your beer beard with up to 72 ounces of your favorite refreshment. Strap it on and sip at your leisure through the patented Thirsty Tube. With the beer beard, you'll always be undercover and overhydrated. Try their patented Chili Tech Bladder, perfect for beer, gin, or wine. Or strap on their hot Foil Max Bladder that will keep you feeling hot under the collar for your Irish coffee, coffee and hard cocoa. Take one on the chin today with Beer Beard at www.beerbeardbrews.com. And now, on with the show. Wait, you said testy? As in testy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Testies. Where, Testies. where did you get that, though? What's that? That's been around forever. That's like as old as mom jokes. Saying testy when you're yeah, testing a microphone? Yeah, testy, testy. It's a Beavis and Butthead joke, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. I, I was just wondering if anybody in the history of jokes has ever laughed at that. No one. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. Yeah. So that's why been I, around forever. Yeah. But that's why I preceded that with, yeah, matter. yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> cool. If you're super clever, you say testy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, okay, cool. Well, uh, we're rolling, by the way. So we have our, our guest, Russell, here today. Russell, do you want to introduce yourself to the... To the to the masses, yeah. Uh, Russell Pearson, um, I'm a fan of Mace. You know, he he taught me in school, and don't tell him. I that. was able to pass Dude. this SC exam, you know, because of the questions he threw out every this week. This guy, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, b- because of Mace, yeah. he well, passed. Well, he was a yeah. part of it. I like hearing. Yeah, he I, like hearing I like hearing. I like hearing. I'm a fan of Mace, though. I know. That's, 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 that's uh, don't, definitely don't, music. Don't say I'm a fan of Mace. He music doesn't need yeah, any Can we scratch that? Let's yeah, back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edit that in post. Well, no. See, I'm happy. I'm happy to. I'm happy to own that. You know what I mean? Was so okay. So good. Yeah. It's accountability. Yeah, dude. There it is. Yeah, I was thinking about accountability on my ride over here. I was I was thinking about this. Uh, um, th- dude, there's. I was going to ask you guys about this. There's something about people and their ability to take accountability, and their in. Well, I should say their inability to do that. Right. Okay. So here is here's my most recent example. Right. This is not a gym story, by the way. So everybody who hated that last podcast, you, you can. This is a good one. This is a good one, though. I think I think it's a good one. Okay. This one's about running. Yeah, no, 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 no. No, this one's about Chinese food. Okay. okay. This you'll right. like. So, uh, okay. You guys, I assume, gotten Chinese takeout before, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Who hasn't? It's all good stuff. Yeah. No American Chinese stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they just covered in grease and sauce and the best. goop. Yeah. The best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So I go now. There was a um, I I was at I was at work and I I ran into the mythical. I'll buy you fly, right? Which, dude, I'll do that every single time. Like, have you ever passed up on one of those? Never. On a what? On a I'll buy you fly. Oh, yeah. I'm like, say less. Say less, son. I'll go get that, right? Yeah, always. Okay. So um, so I was like, oh, okay. You know, and and we'd been working for a while and we had, like, there's a bunch of insurance stuff. Anyway, boring stuff, right? So um, the person who ordered it, right? Um, was a lady. Okay. I won't disparage her name, but it was a lady. <laughs> now, um, so, so in this case, uh, we'll say Betty. <laughs> okay. So Betty. Very, very feminine name. I don't have her permission to use her name on, on, on the podcast. So I, I just won't use it. We'll say Betty. <laughs> um, suffice to say, I don't look like a Betty, right? No. And I know this day and age, you know, you can make some, but I, I I'm just not a Betty. Okay, cool. So, and maybe Betty's a, a, a bad example because, well, well, we'll we'll say we'll say Jenny. How's that? We'll say Jenny. Yep. Okay, Jenny's a better. It's no one. longer Betty. Jenny. Be, be, no, there's a point behind right. it. Okay, right. because there's right. another B in this situation. All right, okay? Jenny. 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 Jenny orders this. Now I go. I go to the store or to, to the uh, takeout place, and and uh, you know she says, "Hey, it'll be under Jenny." Right. Well, it's not under me because it was ordered. They had like Apple Pay, so it went through a phone. Okay. Cool. So I get to the counter and I say, hey, I'm here to pick up an order for Jenny, right? Now, the guy kind of gives me a double take, right? Which <laughs> I understand that because I don't look like a Jenny last time I checked, right? I'm like, okay, cool. No, no problem. And he, he just kind of went, it wasn't crazy. So he goes, picks up the order and gives it to me. Now, I'm an idiot. So I did not check like you should, right? I think it's a cardinal sin. Didn't is, check to make sure all your stuff was there. Right. I okay. didn't even check the order at all. I just saw it. Cause you just know what they do? It. They cut boxes in half and they just give you a, a pile of stuff. And I was like, whoo, you know, and I assumed somewhere <laughs> in that, in the mass yeah. of that stuff was my general Sal's chicken. Okay. So then I get back to the office and you know, there was like four or five of us that were getting stuff anyway. So I start unpacking stuff and then we start unloading it. Right. Yeah. Quickly realize none of our orders. Now, you would think maybe this is a good thing because maybe they ordered some cool shit. (laughs) Nope. The worst stuff on planet earth. They might as well have ordered dirt. Right. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, I got to go back. I got to go back because clearly, and then I looked on the receipt. So now you're flying again. Well, right. (laughs) Yeah. I looked and I was like, what the hell? I looked on the receipt because now you got to verify what's going on. And in comes the second B Brad is on the receipt. Okay. And I was like, Oh, I got Brad's order. Okay. Right. So that's a mix up. Nice Jenny. Not a big deal. Okay. Here we go. So I go back to the, to the, to the takeout place. Right. And I, and I roll up, I roll up to the, to the guy. And, um, now he, uh, the person who, who comes to the counter is another gal. It's not him. He's in the background though. And he kind of sees me. Right. And then I give, I give the gal, I said, Hey, I think there was a mistake. I came in, I was trying to grab an order for Jenny and I got Brad's order. And then in the background, he's like, you said you were Brad. And I'm like, no, no, no. Okay. At the time, it was just like, it was just, at the time, I did not understand the significance of what he had just said. You said you were Brad. And I was like, oh, no. And then, and then she took the receipt, looked at this. He's like, and gave it to me. And that was the end of it. Right. And then I took it and then I left. Okay, cool. And I got my order and Brad got his order. But then I'm driving and I'm like, hold on a second. If that were true, if that were true, that I said I was Brad, that makes me a serial killer. Because, I mean, think of what has, has to go into that. Like, <laughs> I, you need to call the police because I'm a serial killer. 
What person would walk into a, a Chinese restaurant, say a false name, right? Yeah. Say they're Brad, like, and then take Brad's food, not do anything to Brad's food, and then bring Brad's food back. What kind of crazy, insane person does that except for a serial killer? So yeah. I was like, that guy. And then I can, I, I was thinking to myself, and, and you know how I get on the things. I'm like, I'll bet he went home to his girlfriend and was saying, dude, this guy came in, said he was Brad, took a boom, boom, then he brought back him. Like, dude. But I was like, the, the complete lack of willingness to take accountability. That is astonishing. That is crazy. There's no way he thought you were Brad. There's no way he thought you said your name was Brad. That dude got called out for mixing up and, and giving Jenny or giving them Brad Jenny's order. Right. Yeah. That he had to scramble and come up with a way to not take accountability, to put the onus on you. Brad. Yeah. So yeah. when it comes to taking accountability for Russ passing his exam, I'll take it all day. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, that was how you worked around it. Yeah. You yeah. see how I built us up for that? Yeah. 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 So I feel like uh, we've been set up. Yeah. And we got a little bit heavier of an episode because Russ said that he wanted to come in and talk about the Israeli Palestine conflict. So, oh, good. What's your take? Russ, take it away. I'm going to pass on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, just to give you guys a, a little bit of a backstory. So you guys remember we had Amy Dashiell on um, not too long ago. And, uh, you know, Russell, uh, by on good authority, Russell told me he has a story that will blow hers out of the water. So I think so. I think we're I think we're ready to go on any time. Um, and Russell was not a client of ours. Well, no, how, do you, how do you know, Russell? Well, Russell was, was a former student of mine. I think we established that already. His memory short though. Yes. Yeah. Well, what's, his, your what's your name again? Uh, let me think. <laughs> yeah. Brad Jenny. <laughs> his, his immediate memory is dog shit. Let me think. So yeah. So yeah. Um, and uh, normally we have like uh, so we ha we do have our villains to victory series. We got to rename that. But man, the alliteration is just too you know, good. It's just gotta stay. That. I love me a good alliteration. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Russell does have a a uh, kind of rising up from the ashes type type of story. So so yeah, Indeed. we wanted to hear a little bit about that because anytime people hear that. And, and now you've uh, graduated successfully from the University of Utah in what? Uh, Masters of Social Work. So, yeah. My man. Look at that. Yep. You know nice. who else went to the University of Utah? Who's that? What? Yeah, that guy yeah, right buddy. there. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. Weber State guy? Weber State undergrad, then, yeah, University of Utah, uh, 2007 is when I got my MSW. Okay. And you did all yours Weber? I went to Weber and then I went to BYU for my graduation. Don't ask. Easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what you think of when you think of a, a BYU cougar. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 When I went to my masters, they're like, it was it was cool because I was at there was two cohorts there. You had to wear sleeves like that in the summer. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. I, but I typically do. Um, when they um, when they uh, yeah they because two cohorts, but they had small cohorts because how big was your class? I think we had, I was in the advanced standing, mm -hmm. so that there were 64 of us. Oh, okay. There, so. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes there's like a, what about the whole thing all together? There was hundred and something? Uh, more than that. Oh, really? I think there was over 200. Between okay. Two year, three year an advanced standard. Uh, new social work is into the field. Yeah. Well, we had, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. No. It's good. We need it. <laughs> um, but there's, there's a, so BYU, they were pretty strict. They only took 35 in each one of their classes. So there was one cohort and the next cohort and they did not have an advanced standing. And of all them, I was, I was the only one who was not of a certain religious denomination. Oh. Right. 
Do you know what kind? Buddhist. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. So yeah, I was not LDS, but they, they were really cool about it. They really wanted me to be there. I remember um, I pissed off a lot of the, cause I was a cheerleader at Weber state Yes, I and a lot of the, a lot of the cheerleaders up there, they applied for BYU and, the, and they go, they, they were LDS and they were, uh, and they didn't get, uh, a, a, it's called an ecclesiastical endorsement. Wow. Their bishops wouldn't give it to them. And they're like, how did you get it? And they're like, I just went in and talked to the chaplain and he's, he just said, you follow the honor code? I'm like, totally. So I, I, I honor code AF, bro. Yeah. <laughs> once they're going to rescind your degree. Once they listen to this episode, dude, you know, what, because of what? Yeah. I, won't <laughs> prove even, it. I won't even go into that story, but I have a good story that I can tell you about. Uh, the honor code there. Yeah. Oh, about, about the honor code? Oh, yes. Oh, I've heard good stories. Is this like an yeah. off-air story? Well, not really. I, I'll just throw it in here really quick. So when I got out of the military, um, before I got uh, called to Desert Storm, I went in the military to, you know, get college money. And so moved to uh, Provo. I didn't go to BYU. It was mm -hmm. UVU. Mm -hmm. But same honor code. Yeah. Because it was BYU approved housing. And I had this brand new apartment. It was really nice, right? And... Um, I thought it would be cool to put a poster on the wall, and it, it had a, a female with her arms crossed and a couple of beers in her hands, and it said, man cannot live on beer alone. Nice. And so the honor code- Was it a supermodel? Yes. Who, and which the, one? Which one? I don't know, but if she looked good, whoever it was. Dude, back in the day, back then, back then, dude, supermodels were uh, awesome. Like the Cindy Crawford, Kathy Ireland I think days. it might have been like a Cindy oh, Crawford. Yeah. Type, My goodness. The honor code didn't like that. Oh, okay, so yeah. I, I was given a time frame to remove that and replace it with something spiritual. Okay. And so, you know, I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, when you bring up the word BYU, man, I don't know. <laughs> what you replace it's, it with? It's wow. triggering. Right? What you, would you replace it with? Uh, you know, there's a famous portrait of, uh, the, you know, where the, the Jesus Christ is the door and how yeah. there's no handle or whatever. You mm -hmm. know, the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one. So, yeah. Got you. That, out that with the, the supermodel holding the beers in with the. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that met the code. So. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. There's a, I, well, when I was going to my master's for, so for graduate school, you didn't have to live on uh, like camp, like honor code approved housing. You didn't have to, you live anywhere you wanted. In fact, I, I lived in Ogden and commuted down to BYU Ooh, to go to school. Yeah. It, I, you know, I, I like it though, because I commute a lot now, you know, especially like with work in Wyoming. And uh, I learned to love commuting. And I listened to, that's when I bought a serious satellite radio. That's the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I started listening. That was back when podcasts were not even a, I think Adam Carolla probably had one, but that's about it. Him so. and Joe. Yeah. yeah him and Joe. So, well, so yeah. T tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where'd you grow up? So, yeah, I grew up in Delta, uh, you know, small town in Utah. And Inventors of the airline. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's some roots there yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I think when I was growing up there, it was about 3,000 people. Okay. Um, you know, family were farmers. And uh, then the big power plant came. Mm -hmm. And my father, you know, gave up a farming career for his father to go to the power plant, which was controversial, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I grew up very LDS, mm -hmm. uh, 
in a small town. Like you do. Did they have a, was it four wheelers big down there at the time? Oh yeah. Oh bro. Have you ever been on the Fillmore? I got a KX450 sitting in my garage. Speaking of that. Mm. (laughs) They have some epic four wheel trails down there. Oh yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Did you guys shoot jackrabbits with 22s and stuff? Oh yeah. Dude. Before I became a convicted felon, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, that was one of my favorite nights. I I lived down in, I was not living, but I was with my dad down in Fillmore. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it was a, I don't want to say it's the sheriff, but it was, a, it was some sort of law enforcement official. And we went out spotlighting because they're they're dangerous. The jackrabbits are. Oh, yes. We shot so many jackrabbits yeah. out there. It was the, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. First <laughs> time I ever shot a gun. Zero training. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Point and shoot. Here you go, son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, it's, yeah, that, you know, if you've ever been to Delta, you've been jackrabbit hunting. So yeah, yeah. My, my ex-wife, she's actually from Fillmore. So I have a lot of family down there still. Yeah. How long did you live in Delta then? I was there until I was 18. Till, okay. Until I left for the military. You know, okay. I came from a, a really good family. Um, I was never around, you know, drugs or alcohol or mm-hmm. anything like that. But, you know, I mean, you experiment growing up, you know, a few beers here and there, this and that. But sure. nothing, nothing too crazy. Sure. Uh, but I had a good childhood. I had uh, every opportunity to be successful. And, you know, I can't share stories of trauma or mm-hmm. things like a lot of people are exposed to that kind of go into addiction and different things. Um, yeah. And that's sometimes too, I think that that sometimes I guess is at least in our field assumed quite a bit, like uh, especially with therapists. Yeah. In fact, they're kind of counting on it almost. Mm-hmm. Don't you ever feel that way? What's that? Like uh, if you have a guy who's maybe um, dealing with substance use issues or getting out of prison or something, um, you know, uh, you just hear these cliches, you know, like, oh, I can't wait to unpack his trauma. I'm like, how do you know any exists? You know what I mean? Just <laughs> the assumption, like, what if you had a good childhood? <laughs> Always looking for something. Right, yeah. right, right, right. That, like an, like an, um, like an origin, right? Yeah. There's got to be a secret sauce to why this occurred. And then, and yeah. then, and then, yeah, you can go back and explore that and then unpack it <laughs> yeah looking looking for something to work with right yeah now. those yeah. billable hours yeah, yeah there you go there you go yeah so what i'm and, learning trust me yeah. and you got into what what branch of the military uh the army so yeah i um you know i was kind of thinking a mission and that mm-hmm. didn't pan out and so i decided oh an lds mission yes not yeah. an army mission yeah okay we uh, went on those though i said yeah okay cool um so yeah i i Decided I wanted to go into the army and, um, you know, educate myself with their college fund and that. Mm-hmm. So at the time I enlisted, the army was the only one that offered a three-year enlistment with college money. And the catch was they got to pick your MOS and where you went. So, MOS is? Uh, that's your job. So okay. whatever occupation based on your ASVAP score. Okay. So someone that scores really high could go into the Air Force, whereas someone who scores really low is probably going to get an infantry. So the, um, the, ASVAP, works, yeah. the ASVAP score is like the your like intelligence, essentially? Yeah. Okay. And like aptitude, I'm sure somewhere is in there, right? Yes. And and for our uh, Australian listeners, there's like five of them. Uh, a mission, <laughs> an LDS mission is typically um, when uh, – when a young man or a young woman, I thought females, girls go later, don't they? 
Or do they go at 19 also? You know, I'm not sure how that men works. Men go now. at 18 and women go at 19 now? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, that girls go at, oh, dudes go at 19. The 21. Think they changed that. They did? I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two years though. And then you typically go, you don't know where you're going to go. You usually go to another country, yeah. learn another language, which is really cool. And um, essentially you just kind of spreading the word of the LDS religion, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's more to it than that, but we say a mission. People don't know what we're talking about sometimes, but. Great anyway. cause for sure. Sure. Know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, enlisted in the army and uh, I left for the military August of '88. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> uh, that you know, I graduated in May, so it was you know three months, and I left for the military and I was uh, sent to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So a lot in Oklahoma, that's where artillery is trained, and you learn your your job. And so, you know, got through basic training and AIT, and then I was sent to Germany. Mm-hmm. So I was attached with a cavalry unit, 11th Armored Cav, and really their mission was to uh, patrol the what most of us think of as the Berlin Wall, the actual Iron Curtain that mm-hmm. separated East and West Germany. Uh, oh, so that that's still you existed. were there. Yeah, that was yeah. Eighty nine is when it came down, yeah. wasn't it? What, so right? yeah, you. Now here's a little fun fact. Okay. How, how many people can say this? I was standing on the border with a machine gun when that became free. Whoa. That's amazing. Yeah, got some Dude. great pictures. Place in history. I'll bet. Did you get a piece of it? Then? Yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I, so remember, I was on the Iron Curtain, so it's yeah. the electrified fence. So I did get pieces of the Berlin Wall, but I was stationed in uh, Bad Hersfeld, which is considered in the Fulda Gap, which geographically is the only place Soviets could really come through. And so the 11th Armored Cav, there were four regiments, and we were strung out across this Iron Curtain, and we mm-hmm. patrolled that. So I'm an idiot, though. Like, what what was the wall trying to stop? Like, I, mean, I know I should know my history. Was it East and West Germany? I, 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 yeah. I know, but what? Deutsches Democratic Republic. So communist from non-communist. Oh, okay. Okay. And they're just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't come over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, which side? Were you on the cool side then? Or yeah, I was on the cool side. Because the other uh, side was what? Just... Yeah, poor and they suck, or I don't <laughs> dictatorship. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, but totally was, communist. You're okay. on the west then. Yes, yeah. west. And yeah. uh, <laughs> you know it's crazy because you know there were families that were within a mile distance that were separated for you know years and years because of this iron curtain. Wow. Yeah, and so well, your mandate then was so if somebody tried to cross kill them yeah so every, Whoa, really <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely every wow. every three months uh we would go up there for 30 days and they would lock us in and we would patrol the border and so there's a 50 kilometers zone on each side of the fence yeah and if either or side were to cross in that 50 meter zone you have authorization to you know engage were Whoa. there ever people like trying to flee the communist side to come over to that side though not that I ever saw. And oh, I, okay. So I, more, but they were probably people coming over to do harm then. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got it. You, you know, and they have the border towers every yeah. so far. And then you see the East Germans walking with the uh, German shepherds and in their little Jeeps with machine guns. The difference there was, for that, man. Yeah. Wow. When it, when it came down. And so that is wild. Did you, did you, like, did you get it? So 
Were you literally there when it came down? Like you got to, you got to oh, literally, dude, dude, that's amazing. Like I, I think about, like you think about the wall, uh, uh, we have opinions about walls and borders or whatever, but like I look at images and video from like the wall down on our Southern border yeah. and I'm like, you know, they got a little bit of razor wire or some of those floaty things in the river with compared to German shepherds and machine guns. I'm yeah. like, oh, dude, like, you don't know wall, son. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll show you a wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty intense. So yeah, I mean, I got, uh, so every, everywhere there was a sharp turn in the border, they would have a barber pole and they, it was painted with red, yellow, and black paint. And they put these aluminum plaques that had the DDR, Deutsches Democratic Republic symbol, mm -hmm. right? They're probably less than, I don't know, 200 in the existence, right? And so I was smart enough when that happened. I went right to the first pole and popped one of them plaques. Wow. So I've got pieces of the pole, the, the match cool. stick, which indicates you're crossing into the 50 kilometers. Wow. Pieces of the Iron Curtain. We traded uniforms with the East German soldiers, got pictures with their guns. Did you really? So, so I got cool. a lot of cool stuff. Wow. wow. But yeah, I mean, that was a life-changing experience, you know, no to, doubt. to be able to say that I was physically standing patrolling that border yeah when the berlin wall it's absolutely wow. a so. pretty important spot in history yeah. yeah 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 and you know who would have thunk i mean i didn't uh, i didn't know going into that 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 would ever happen sure so. yeah yeah hey you were a kid yeah yeah and it was uh really you know looking back i'm very grateful for that experience i don't think at the time i really valued for what it was yeah but to think back and you know a part of history so it's yeah. kind of like uh it's not comparable but um i was just thinking like even uh, <laughs> just because uh, I, I, I looking back on those things, you're right. Like when you're when you're in it, it's hard to notice the significance of it. Like if you're just yeah. there and it's kind of like, hey, you're here to do this. And how long how long were you there, by the way? In Germany? Yeah, I was there 22 months. OK, in Germany. So you, almost two, two years. years. Almost two it's kind of like becomes your routine. And then there you like, and you probably how how far in advance did you know that the wall was coming down? You know, it kind of happened like just <clears throat> out of the blue. There really wasn't a buildup to mm -hmm. it. Uh, there, it was more in Berlin mm -hmm. than the actual Iron Curtain. But like I say, you have this beautiful countryside and you have these families that are mm -hmm. families, but they're separated by this huge yeah. Iron Curtain that's electrified and you can't. Potentially just one mile apart yeah. while in the middle. I mean, you can literally look and see family that you know. And so yeah. wow. When, wow. when that happened... Uh, one of the other soldiers, we, we had both just bought really nice cameras out of the PX. And so our lieutenant colonel came out in his Blackhawk and he knew that we had these cameras. So we went up and there's uh, automobiles over there called Trabants. They're like, they probably have a weed eater engine and they had like eight <laughs> Germans. <laughs> yeah, they, there were like eight of these Germans and, and literally a car is no bigger than this table. Yeah. So they're just crammed in there because they didn't know how long this was going to go. And so they were just miles and miles on the Autobahn of the East Germans trying to get into West Germany wow. for fear yeah. that they would, you know, it's kind of like, uh, like I said, it's not comparable, but even like, um, I don't, I don't know how significant like the pandemic will be in the future, you know, but like, you remember that, uh, it's, a uh, the five wives dil distillery. Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah. Yeah. They oh, had, making the hand sanitizer. They had the hand sanitizer. Yeah. Dude, I saved those suckers. I'm like, I'm saving yeah. these babies. They're <laughs> the not mementos. Yeah. It's a big deal, man. Oh, well I was yeah. like, dude, looking back, this might be pretty cool. It's like basically know? like a piece of the Berlin wall. Well, yeah. 
Not at all. <laughs> That's why I said it's not comparable. I just said, I said, I'm hoping yeah. the significance of this yeah. is going to mean something yeah. later on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. probably not. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Yeah, so, so cool. Cool yeah, experience. So, you, so then how didn't that did career in, in uh, or did no, you just no, do no, your, so, serve your time and come back and or serve your time? <laughs> so, well, I did go on to do plenty of that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I finished my enlistment. Um, they were actually offering an early out to some people. And so I took advantage of that and I got out about three months early Okay, and, uh, came home and, you know, followed through with my plan. I got registered to go to school in, um, Orem, Utah Valley. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably, you know, I'd went to all this work to get this apartment and it was maybe the third day into the semester in January. And uh, my, my mom and dad called me and said they needed to speak to me. Well, of course, I knew what was coming because that mm -hmm. was right at the time the uh, desert storm, the war in Iraq was heating up. Mm -hmm. So when you sign a military obligation, uh, you, you actually sign for an eight-year enlistment. So if you do four years active, you're still obligated four years on what they call the IRR, inactive ready reserve. And they usually pull from those before they'll even use National Guard because you're active duty, you mm -hmm. train more. Um, you're just on the bench, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but they'll, but they, so you do your four years active, but then four years after that, then they still, if something like Desert Storm erupts, they, they, can, they can activate pull you. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of had a feeling what was coming and I um, had a letter that said that I had 24 hours to report to Lawton, Oklahoma to go fight in the war for no more than two years. <laughs> wow. So uh, 24 that, that was notice. what your parents called you about? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, when, your parents, call you, when your parents call you and say, we have to talk to you, son, I'd be like, cancer or <laughs> they, divorce? They, One of yeah. those two. Or they found my stash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They looked exactly. under my bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which happened later. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'm foreshadowing. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. But you're a good predictor because it's, it's coming. Trust okay. me. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, make a long story short, you know, I got that letter and, you know, of course, that was a scary moment because at the time the media were saying, uh, you know, that they were going to use these chemical weapons and the ones fighting on the ground were going to be killed. And of course, I was with a cavalry regiment, you know, which is mechanized infantry. You're the front line. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, got my stuff packed up, tell my family goodbye. Hope I see you again. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was that. Wow. So, um, another crazy experience in my life, you know, yeah. to come home, to go to school, to then be told you're going to the war. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, that lasted about 30 days and, um, uh, got injured. And so you went over to De desert storm and got injured. Yeah. Oh, okay. So honorably discharged again. So usually when you discharge in the military, you get a DD two fourteen. And so I possess a DD-214, a DD-215, and a DD-215E. Okay. Which means honorably discharged, uh, honorably discharged from war, and honorably discharged injured. So I'm service-connected veteran. Did you what, did you get injured like in battle, like a Purple Heart type? Or? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, no. No Purple Heart for me. Oh, um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm service-connected with the, the VA, and, of course, you know, I – I love the VA. Everybody hears horror stories, but they're a pretty good outfit, actually. Um, and so, yeah, that was another uh, really uh, just really incredible experience for me. 
you know, probably one of the most important lessons I ever learned with that was, you know, we, we have all this racial tension in the world and mm -hmm. all these things going on. And what you learn in an experience like that is it doesn't matter what color our skin is or where we come from or what we're doing is like, does that person have my back? Yeah. Right. All that other stuff kind of goes out the door. Right. So right. that taught, taught me a really important lesson that w would, you know, benefit me right. throughout my life is not to be racist or like political ideology. Yeah, I, I, I don't get involved with any of that dumb right. shit because it's not important to me. There's no room for that on the battlefield. Yeah. No, it's who it, your favorite football team is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it comes down to you know, is this person genuine, authentic? Is it a person I want in my life? Which later <laughs> in life I learned. You know, today I'm very choosy who sits at my table, whereas before I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right. I had a lot of friends. Well, let me rephrase. I had a lot of accomplices. <laughs> I, today I have friends. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then I had accomplices. Doesn't yeah. mean they're bad people. Just yeah. means, you know, they were doing something different. But, but that, are you saying that that experience though kind of opened you up to maybe, uh, being more open and welcoming to people because mm -hmm. you kind of, it, it drove all that, that stuff's not really, at yeah. the end of the day, that stuff's not really important. What's exactly. important is just who's sitting in front of me and whether or not they have my yeah, back. Yeah. Is it a good human being and do they have my back? Sure. Um, okay. So it was a really, a, a important lesson once again, you know, kind of an experience that most people will never have in their life. Um, oh yeah. Me and Jeff signed up for, <laughs> for the military and they said, no, you guys are too good. We can't, we can't take yeah. you. Yeah. You so, guys yeah. are off the team. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Can you, can you yeah. imagine us two oops yeah. in the military? Like, <laughs> twisting guns. Yeah. You guys are too good. <laughs> too good, man. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that was a, another really life changing event. And then I came home and I met a guy in a gym, mm -hmm. of course, a gym, right? Yeah. I was in that phase of my life for a long time um, until I started doing it to to look good instead of be good. Well, yeah. There's, there's nothing, a difference. <laughs> uh, I, I, Man, if you ever listen to the podcast, you know uh, there's many things to hate about the gym. Yeah. Okay. Especially the people. In there. <laughs> yeah. Once I started doing it to look good, I lost sight of what I'd started to do, mm -hmm. be good. So big difference. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I met a guy who worked at Kennecott and, um, he liked me and, and he was in the national guard and he said, Hey, you know, come out here, I'll get you a job. So yeah, I, I did that. So I worked at Kennecott for 17 years, I, I guess 16 Wait, or 17 years. Did you have one of those trucks with the tires that are bigger than a house? Well, you know, I actually was a supervisor in the mine for a period of time, but I never actually got to drive one, but I, I did. Those things are cool. I had to babysit those guys, and that was a pain. Dude, imagine hijacking one of those, going on a rampage. Oh, yeah. Like, how are you going to be stopped? Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Giant. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I had a really good um, job, mm -hmm. you know. If I if I wouldn't have taken a different turn, I'd probably still be out there and, you know, um, getting ready to retire. But my life took a different turn. So, you know, during that time, um, on paper – you know, I looked good mm -hmm. and, you know, I had the house, the cars, all of that stuff that's really not important. And but, by this point, to no, me it was. no real criminal record or anything? No, no. Okay. No, no criminal record, no abusing, <clears throat> you know, alcohol or drugs. Um, in fact, I, I didn't even try drugs probably until my later 30s. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I was drinking on the weekends, you know, mm -hmm. nothing out of control and... uh but the most important part of that period of my life is that whole time I was a liar, a cheater, you know, manipulator, mm -hmm. thief. I, I wasn't a good person. Yeah. I, I wanted people to think I was good. I wanted to look good, but I wasn't good inside. Um, 
And, you know, I think when you learn how to take accountability for that, then mm -hmm. you can start to change those things. But I just didn't want to hear that or see that. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, but I was responsible. I mean, I went to work, you know, I, I did the best I could. Um, and people ask me all the time, like, where did your life turn or what, was there something that happened? Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, I think about that and there's really no aha moment, uh, that stands out. I think it was just being that kind of a person leading up to making a bad choice of trying drugs for the first time. Um, so the, the, by every available, like, I, I guess, overt metric, uh, having a place to call your own, having a vehicle, paying your bills, like going to the gym, taking care of yourself, everything, like you said, on paper looked good, yeah. but kind of personality, attitude, belief system just was the carpets wasn't matching the drapes in that department. Yeah. And, and it, you're saying it kind of festered long-term and <laughs> yes. it was never like, well, today's the day I'm going to start. It just, <laughs> yeah, excuse me. No, it was building up to that, you know? And I think, I think there are a lot of people walking around right now that just mm -hmm. haven't ever, you know, maybe delved into addiction or something like that, but they're not good people, but on paper, they look good. Right. Character right? disorder. Yeah. Their character, yeah. They, their moral compasses off. Right. Right. But to look at that person, you may think, <clears throat> well, they've got it together, but internally, you know, they're either liars or cheaters or manipulators, you know, they're just not good people. Absolutely. It's funny how that is too. Like, um, if you look at, you know, the, the one, no, don't get me wrong. I know, I know, um, which obviously we'll get into, but more long-term drug and alcohol use to the point where it's compulsive and addictive and whatnot, like that, that begets behaviors that mm -hmm. obviously cause more, you know, problems in your life and whatnot. But, um, that one quality is such a, a dividing factor from like, there's people who are just legit scumbags, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And they're just not using drugs though. So everything's like, Oh, well, cool. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, which is like, well, Hey, wait a minute. I, I know people who have, you know, who are addicted to whatever. And they're, I mean, genuinely good people, you know what I mean? But like, nope, like it just morality is gonzo. It's one moment. of the main things I've learned in just working in this field is exactly that. You know, yeah. People it, that use, like whether or not someone uses isn't necessarily indicative of like the quality of person they yeah. are. Yeah, plenty of sober assholes. Right. Yeah. That's cool though that you can look back on that, have some insight into that 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 mindset, that kind of uh, maybe hidden lifestyle contributed to all of this in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it took a long time to be accountable for that because I just you know my pride and lack of humility. I I didn't want to accept the fact that I was the problem. You know, I was that mm -hmm. guy on the pity potty. Mm -hmm. I could blame everybody but myself. I yeah. could give you every reason why I did what I did. But at the end of the day, it was me. Yeah. And I was making my own choices. Right. Sure, there were things in my life that uh, affected that or had a part in that. But ultimately, we all get to make our own choices, right? Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is, you know, they're always looking for a reason to blame. And it's when you learn how to take accountability, you, you know, your life changes. Yeah. You said they were Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the other way yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, like I say, they're, looking back, I, I don't really know of a particular event other than I think it was just my poor behaviors leading up to that moment when I first tried. Mm -hmm. You know, to this day, I've, I've never even smoked marijuana. So I went right to cocaine. And um when I found that, you know, I thought that was the greatest thing ever until it became a very expensive habit. When was that? When did you first start using? Uh, so I would have been 36 years old. And that would have been what year? 
2008, 2009. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I was going to say that wasn't the height of cocaine's power. No, 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 no. Um, and so, you know, to, to make a long story short, that all came to an end when it got to the point where, you know, my, my habit was exceeding my income and I ended up paying one of my employees overtime. Uh, I was a foreman and I paid her overtime that she didn't work and told her, you know, I'll give you some of that. And luckily she had the, you know, integrity to go and tell them, hey, I didn't earn this. Mm-hmm. Of course, they called me in and said, you know, you can resign or we're going to fire you. So mm-hmm. after 16 or 17 year career there, it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess some people would have learned their lesson, but not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on to Union Pacific Railroad, another wonderful job. Oh, yeah. Um, and I had just, I was about two semesters away from finishing a bachelor's degree in business and to hire on with Union Pacific, you needed a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. So I ended up finishing that in agreement with Union Pacific if they'd hire me that I finished the degree. Kind of a probationary type thing? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, another, to put it into a short story, uh, we had an a accident down there where the Fear Factory uh, haunted house is. A guy had laid his head over the rails and severed his head. So my boss and myself, we had to investigate being managers for the company and what I didn't understand is the way federal uh, laws work is all people will be tested. Of course, you know, I was using and I'd forgot to put my minute man, you know, the, the synthetic urine oh. to pass the test. Yeah. Jeff never leaves home without it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a wizard. Lizard. Different brand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, of course I couldn't pass the drug test and, and lost my job because I just walked off. I just walked away. Wow. Um, so they, so they, the federal investigation and then everybody gets tested. Mm-hmm. Okay. Regardless of your role. It doesn't matter. Wait, yeah. So the, did the guy just commit suicide then or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And just, it was, was he even part of the railroad or was no, he just some dude? No. Wow. No, he'd drawn a few symbols in the dirt and then walked up and laid his head. And so Whoa. his neck and looking at his rear end, they're laying on this side of the webbing of the rail and his head's laying on the inside of the track like this. Whoa. Whoa. Clean sever, very little blood, just cauterize it with the trucks, you know, the wheels of the yeah. joint. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, that was a interesting, <laughs> yeah. you know, event. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. To say the least. So, you know, witness wow. a severed head and lose your job in one night. I was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty. Insane. Holy so, cow. But okay. anyway, I guess my point in all that is I went on to work after that. I was still able to manipulate my way into another good job with Tesoro uh, Refinery. And, Ended up using their company credit card excessively. I couldn't account for it and fired again. Wow. So, you know, all because of my drug habit. It's interesting how you, like, you're very accountable with the, the words you use. I manipulated my way into another job. You, you don't feel like you got that job legitimately? No. Yeah. You no. misrepresented yourself? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Just just hoping and praying to get another job, you know. To, I see. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Everybody duplicitous, can... I guess, would oh, be the okay. word I would use. Okay. Yeah, um, no, that's a good word. I mean... I think when we're in an interview, we all kind of manipulate a little bit. Of course. But, but I mean, like you're, yeah, yeah the, it, it, looking back, you had a significant problem going on. Absolutely. And perhaps you had not been working there, like maybe needed to seek help before you got, okay, okay, yeah. I got you. Absolutely. Now, did they, did they, um, I guess in these establishments, um, well, I mean, Kennecott, I guess that was more of, of a, um, like a white collar crime anyway with the overtime thing, but yeah. Um, with the railroad, do they not have any, 
sort of EAP or diversion type thing with that? Or they, they, they absolutely do, but I wouldn't, you know, of course oh. I was too prideful to go in and say, I have a problem. I need help. Really? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't doing that. I had, even... min- I had the minute man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, manipulating, lying, uh, yeah. you know, deceiving. That's who I was. Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, then once again, for whatever reason, I was able to land another really good job back where I'd grown up. My second wife and I relocated there. Uh, working at a big egg farm and uh, I had a a great job uh, you know good pay the whole bit and that's where I got introduced to meth Uh, a lot of the workers there you know uh, Hispanic and a lot of drugs involved you know in that culture there in that small community and so that's when I first you know started using meth and that that was kind of a turning point because I really kind of went off the rails and my marriage was falling apart and that's where I started picking up, uh, you know, charges and, mm-hmm. you know, a few days in jail, a week in jail. Um, and till I, you know, I'd got arrested and I'd left the light bulb in my company truck that had meth in it. And of course fired from that job and now incarcerated. And that's kind of where just things really started going downhill. So and you say an egg farm, right? Yeah. Free range eggs. You know, Jeff's uh, about to lecture you. No, not free range. Um, <laughs> however, the company has a lot of free range. Uh, we there were a million birds down there, so we were running about a million eggs a day. Yeah, um, you know, sidebar here. Uh, I was driving back from Southern Utah, and I would wager we probably drove through Delta on our way back. And uh, I was lectured for multiple hours about using free range eggs <laughs> from this guy right here, <laughs> as as if I, I mean, dude. It, I, I don't have I ever talked to you guys in class about my my thoughts on animals and why like I don't remember. Okay, you would. It would be one of my opening monologues about nonsense. All right, settle in. Here we go. <laughs> okay, no, it's, it, when we when we decide to eat an animal, right? Mm-hmm. There's two factors that we look at. One is intelligence and the other one is aesthetics, how cute the animal is. Okay. And I, the one that matters the most is cuteness. Okay. Right. We just do not eat cute animals. Okay. And I'll give you an example. So if you think, if you think about like the, the smartest and the cutest animal on the planet, what is it? Puppy? Dolphins. Oh, okay. Dolphins. Dolphins. The smartest and the cutest. Okay. okay. Smartest. There you go. And we don't, we don't do much to dolphins. Okay. No. We don't, I mean, People say they eat them. Um, I don't think they do because of the mercury. But I think like uh, when people are kidnapping them and putting them so you can swim with dolphins and stuff like that, they, they're saying that. But we don't do anything to dolphins because they're super smart and super cute, right? But if you take an animal that's super stupid but beautiful aesthetically like a peacock, you ever heard of anybody eating a peacock ever? I don't think so. I don't think no, so. No, no. I mean, it's like, hey, we're having peacock. I don't think they're endangered, though, right? They're not. In, I don't no, think they are. No. We very well could start eating peacock, but it's like, ah, really? Look at those feathers. Those are cool, right? Nobody yeah. would do that. Okay. So then I'm like, now you can go down the line. I mean, if you look at it, you know, pigs, they're pretty intelligent, yeah. but ugly as hell. So we'll eat, we'll eat the shit out of a pig. You know, no problem whatsoever. Everybody will eat that. 
So then this guy talking to me about the dumbest and the ugliest creature on planet Earth, a chicken. You know, I mean, you really should eat free range. They need time to roam and everything. Right after he got back from SeaWorld with all those dolphins in captivity and that poor whale that's tortured there. I had him going for years thinking I cared about that. <laughs> well, it was worth yeah. a three hour lecture, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and then I got on and I was like, I only want chickens that grow up in cages and they start growing into the cages. I only will eat tortured chickens chickens henceforth so <laughs> i assume that wasn't the farm you were in so well yeah uh I'll, just a really quick little thing we would bring kids there uh on tours and we would have you know some of the chickens in a cage and you would ask the kids you know where, where do uh, where do the eggs come from and, that, and their answer was walmart you know they had no idea that the chicken yeah. laid an egg it was walmart that's where we get the eggs from. that's so funny <laughs> well was there anything about like See, you kind of said that w when you started using meth, that's when things started to go off the rails. Was was there anything about the meth, uh, the high that it gave you, or the the way that you were using it, or or that 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 contributed to things getting off the rails, or or was this just like threshold effect, and and that was it? You know, I think I think the problem with meth is it's it's more of the sleep deprivation than the drug itself. Mm -hmm. When you're going three, four days without sleeping, man, and everybody talks about the shadow people. I think those are realities. And it's the poor diet and, and the lack of sleep. And, you know, it just starts to create all this paranoia. Because how long is a cocaine high compared to a methamphetamine? Oh, high? yeah. You know, cocaine an hour and you want, you know, more, 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 mm -hmm. more. Um, Whereas meth at that time, uh, you know, you could do a line and you were good when you first started using for, you know, a couple of days. Wow. Your eyes are dilated and you're wow. grinding your teeth. And I don't think it's got quite that effect anymore with all the restrictions of ephedrine and all the things they've taken away. But back mm -hmm. then it was it was pretty pretty potent stuff. Um, oh, yeah. That's back in the day when you just buy ephedrine over the counter. Yeah. You oh, know, wow. And okay. now that's a problem. And so I don't think it's near as strong as it was back then. Uh, but I think more like the sleep deprivation and just creating paranoia and, and you know, it's like the byproducts of the substance that, like yeah. that, that it, you're up for days and right. whatever recovery your brain does when you're asleep isn't happening. And no. so your perception of reality is distorted. That well, whole thing. big time. And meth yeah. or not, if you were just putting yourself through that and you were able to somehow whatever, stay awake for that. Damn, that doesn't do a body. Yeah, I mean, function. you don't even have to do yeah. meth step for three days and see how you feel. You're going to be like, yeah. you know, yeah. So trashed. yeah, the lack of diet, you know, you're dehydrated, the, not sleeping. Um, and then of course with the drug, it's just, you know, you're off the rails. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, you know, I was committing crimes. I was getting in trouble with the law in and out of jail. Um, and then I ended up, so I'd racked up about, Oh, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 felonies at that point. And, uh, and then I ended up do, doing a year, in the county jail in Fillmore and I got out for not even two weeks and I got in more trouble and ended up doing another nine months. So, you know, a couple of years there. What, you did a year after 12 or 13 felonies? Yeah. Did you know a good lawyer? Uh, well, it's small town. Oh. And I played the veteran card a lot. Oh, you know, okay. Once again, manipulating the system. Yeah. Were, yeah you, were you using while you were incarcerated? Did I ever use while I was incarcerated? No. No. County jail is tough to state inmates. You know, a lot of the state prisoners go to county jails because it's double the revenue. So the counties love to house state sure. inmates, prison inmates. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I was doing time where I grew up in the, in the county jail that, you know, 30 miles from my family. So they has about 80, or 80 state inmates there. Um, so, yeah, you know, doing, doing time. And then I went through that kind of phase and I, I'd just done a year. And, I, you know, we always find God in jail or prison. And then, you know, the minute you walk out the door, you leave him there and mm-hmm. life comes you mm-hmm. know, quickly. And I, I really thought that I wanted something different. And so uh, I, I came up to Salt Lake and I got connected with the VA. Mm-hmm. They gave me a little job at the VA hospital. Um, you know, I was sober. My daughter and her husband were actually living up here. He was going to school. So I was able to stay with them waiting for v- veteran housing. And um, I got actually enrolled in the, back then it was the LSAC, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a SUDSI program. Yeah, LSAC is what it used to be. So I did that and the BSW. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, things were going pretty good for about the first semester. And then I went into class one night. Uh, it was an evening class. And I looked at my phone and I had a bunch of missed calls from my daughter. I called her back. She's like, your mother just died. Whoa. So I th- it was my mother, 66, so young, um, stood up in the front room, had a heart attack, and and just lost her. And I, I just spoke to her. So once again, um, I used that as an excuse, you know, to use. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an hour after I'd gotten that phone call, I uh, called one of the guys I'd done time with, you know, met me off the freeway, and we were smoking meth. So, um, well, was it, like you say, you used it as an excuse to use, like, were you, was it something like you were legitimately grieving and were looking for the pick me up or was it that you were, you were fine, but this, here's another opportunity to use. Honestly, I think it was an opportunity to use. I wish I could tell you different, right. but I'd be lying. Um, I'm getting that from you that you're, that you're more than willing to maybe not paint yourself in the best light at that point in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it was more of a reason to use, um, it gave me that reason I needed to say, you know, poor me. Right. My mother just died. So, you know, I mean, and here's, you always have regret, but I don't live in the past. I look forward because uh, that will serve you no purpose. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I was high at my mother's funeral just to give you some perspective mm-hmm. as to where I was at, you know, and my mother was my life. She was my best friend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was a, a tough thing to go through. Of course, you know, making it even worse being high through the whole thing. And from there, you know, once again, just just off the rails and things really picked up and uh, getting in a lot of trouble, uh, picking up a lot of charges, you know, in and out of jail. Um, And, you know, that went on for, oh, I don't know, four years probably, you know, of of that kind of behavior, just committing a lot of crimes, um, getting in trouble with the – major crimes unit, you know, GPSing my car. Later, I would find this out when I applied for my licenses and I had to get all the police reports. Oh, really? Um, they put a... Yeah, building a case <laughs> against... You know, I kept wondering why yeah. my friends kept getting arrested and in trouble. And we were trying to find out who was ratting. Yeah. And it was me because my car was going to their place as I was selling drugs. Oh, oh man. <laughs> but they were building a case right, against me. So, right. that, you know, they wanted to get me good. Yeah. And I didn't find that out until I applied for my license with Doppel. Um, when you have to get the actual incident reports, it discloses everything. You know, when you go to court, they don't tell you that. The discovery is very basic. But when you get the actual 
police that write the report, it, it discloses all that. Wait, when you get your Sudsy license from Doppel? Yeah. You've, oh, what? oh, yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. I didn't just pay the fee and get my license. It's a process. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. big one. Yeah. Um, How many of those crimes that you committed were in pursuit of doing what you, uh, of drugs? Like either getting them or getting money. You know, I'm I'm imagining stripping copper from. Uh, you know, I was I was, I was never a copper stripper. No. Uh, I was the guy that would, you know, go into Best Buy and throw a laptop down my pants, or walk into, you know, Nordstroms and take five pairs of five hundred dollar jeans and just walk out and not even care. I just didn't care. Gotcha. I had no wow. regard for that. Um, and get away with it too, huh? Yeah. No, well, most of the time. Yeah. I do have seven or eight theft felonies, so there oh, were a few moments that didn't go yeah. down the way I wanted it to. You, you weren't batting a thousand. No, I wasn't batting a thousand. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you know, uh, I was just committing a lot of crime and I had a, a, you know, just a crazy period of my life until I, so eventually, uh, I got charged with a pretty serious distribution charge and, um, you know, looking at prison and, they put me in veterans court, you mm -hmm. know, at the time was especially court, like mental health drug court. It was kind of just starting up and, you know, I was drinking baking soda, trying to pass the UAs and failing most of them and being mm -hmm. sanctioned to jail and this and that. And, and then I picked up a, a pretty serious charge. Uh, I was given a, a first degree felony, which is considered a life sentence, um, for aggravated robbery. And then I had a restricted felon with a, with a gun in the car. And, um, that's that's really when life changed for me because you know I knew at that point I was I was going to do some real time. You that's know? a wrap at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, at least a decade, probably wow. maybe longer. You um, said aggravated robbery. Yeah, yeah. aggravated robbery, um, and being a first degree, you know, you're doing five before you even see the parole board to get a date to parole. So you're doing five before you even find a before date. before you even have a chance. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I knew I was in some serious trouble. And I had about six other felonies rolled into veterans court that now mm -hmm. weren't going to be taken care of attached to all of that. Oh, wow. So I, I knew I was in, in pretty serious trouble. And um, a guy had told me about a place called the Other Side Academy. You know, I'd never really heard about that place and uh, was fairly new at that time. And they're a, a therapeutic community mm -hmm. in Salt Lake City. It's a When I went, it was a two-year program. Now it's two and a half years commitment and it's such a good program and they have such a good success rate that you know even now a lot of the county jails in the state have uh, are willing to give you a shot to go there to you know in lieu of your charges so like despite whatever sentence you have hanging over your head you might get early released to one of those programs provided you complete it right but it is a two 2.5 year commitment 2. though year. okay and it is probably the toughest program in the country but you know, it, it saved my life. The, the difference between a TC, a substance use TC, and what I do now is they're not able to accept people with mental health diagnosis mm -hmm. or medications because mm -hmm. there are no clinicians. Sure. So it's all peer run. Oh, uh, wow. The staff are all from Delancey Street uh, that came and started this. Uh, Joseph Grenny is the founder of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's based on your behaviors. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always like to tell people drugs aren't the problem. They're the solution, and that's the problem. It's your behavior that's the problem. Exactly. Drugs weren't my problem. It was my behaviors. And when I learned to fix my behaviors, I fixed my drug problem. So this was all a peer-run community, you said, yes. right? Because the it's kind of funny. The, the, the therapeutic communities that you and I have worked in, they've been in, in institutions. 
And they're, they're kind of, um, I, I mean, obviously the clients are in them, but the rules and how they're like followed through is always clinicians and officers almost expressly. And it's always awful. Like it's always just, just, I mean, and and we would have like, I mean, I'm kind of curious to hear what your guys was like, but like we, I mean, there would be, cause part of the concept of therapeutic communities, you hold each other accountable, right? A hundred percent. But in this, it was like manufactured accountability. Like we would have dudes. So they'd have like these things, they called them pull-ups, but, and it was the, the, the idea behind it was like, I'm pulling you up from a bad behavior. Sure. It wasn't that though. They would, they would, it was like an insult and almost led to fights all the time. And they, and then what happened was, is they, then they mandated how many pull-ups you had to do in a certain period of time. There's like a, a quota essentially. Yeah. And then guys would just make deals like a dude would be like, Hey bro, so I'm going to pull you up for leaving the, uh, not clean out the microwave. And then you pull me up for farting in line. Okay, cool. Sweet. <laughs> and then they were totally inclined to tell us about this. And I'm like, well, what's the point? And then, and then they're all, well, because it was just stupid. They, they made us do that. And I was like, well, it wasn't their rules, right? If it was organic and it was peer run, I see that being a, a deal. But when you're just answering to other people, like clinicians who were saying, no, you have to do this. And that was kind of the whole thing. It, it seemed like it just pulled out of the, but I, what was your experience like there with it? Yeah. Well, it's a much different experience. Uh, you know, one of the programs in the prison, uh, John Langford used to teach, you know, they called them relays. Mm-hmm. It's like conquest and the different <clears throat> programs they have. And just like you're saying, you know, they get together before they run group mm-hmm. and they say, Hey, you know, you didn't fill the coffee pot. So I'll, I'll hold you accountable. And, you know, I left toothpaste on the I'll sink. Get you and you'll get me. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not that way at the other side Academy. Uh, it is probably the most authentic, uh, highest level of accountability a person could ever imagine. So their idea of uh, therapy is twice a week. They have what are called, they, they were called games when I was there, but now it's breakthrough uh, groups, I believe. Mm-hmm. So two hours you go in there and during the week, uh, you know, if you do something, it is, it's called a pull up. Um, mm-hmm. Then I correct that behavior and your only response to that is okay. Anything more than that, you would be in trouble. Um, then you write a slip, you drop in the game box Tuesday or Friday night. I'm going to put you in a room, me and Jeff, we're going to play the game. And then I'm going to bring that behavior to him with a group of 20 or 30 students. And then you're going to hear about it from all 20 or 30 others. And it, it can be uh, very uh, intense. We're going to play a game like Uno? Vernacular, not like Uno. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, it's... it's uh, it's, it can be very tough for a lot of people sure. um, to be in that kind of an environment mm-hmm. um, where you're hearing, you know, loud vernacular, uh, you know, but for, for that population, it's, it's effective mm-hmm. um, and it works. What is it that makes it effective? Well, I think the biggest thing that makes that effective is because it's being brought to you by people that you can't dispute. So like you're not looking at some, artificially earned authority figure. It's someone that's lived right. the same life that you're living. And so what they have to say, you actually have some buy-in credibility. Wow. Okay. It's credibility. <clears throat> you can't, you know, some people say you can't bullshit a bullshitter, I guess would mm-hmm. be a good way to look at that. Um, you're being told by someone who's lived their life just like you something. And it's hard to dispute that. Did that matter to you? Like, like, did that resonate with you immediately or is this something that like over time it started to make sense? So me, I struggled, um, my pride, 
So you could tell me my eyes are brown and my eyes are brown and I'd resist it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was prideful and it took me a long time to be able to just sit there and listen. And when you do that, you can change your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's the thing, that person bringing you that may be completely full of shit. Maybe everything they're telling you is not valid, but when you're able to just sit there and listen and let them say how they they feel like you may have affected them, it changes your life. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, we try to defend ourselves always. We're always trying to defend our position. But it's like, if you know internally I'm authentic and I'm being the person I say I am, then why does it matter? I have to imagine that translates into other areas too. Like I imagine, I don't know, like you have a boss who's chewing you out for no good reason. And um, I don't know, being crass about things and treating you inappropriately and you just sit there and kind of take it. But you know, if you talk back, you might get, you know, lose your, your job or yeah, something. Yeah. But uh, you know, that it, it's telling you, they're not telling you nothing. They're, 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 I mean, yeah, they're telling you something, but also they're telling you a lot about their personality what type of person they are, they're still, you're still absorbing information about Absolutely. that person. And if you, if you get defensive, you lose that. Absolutely. Like you, you, and, then, and then at that point in the future, you react like how that person's talking to me is going to now dictate how I'm going to interact with them in the future. And if I get so bent, like prideful about it, I miss that. And I'm just focused on what a dick they are, you know? And then yeah. I'm like, you know, I should start be building injustices towards Sh- that person. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest lesson it teaches you is humility. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us lack humility. And when you're able to sit there and listen to that feedback, right or wrong, and just take it, it, it changes you. Um, you know, they used to tell us, look, take, take what you've heard, to your pillow tonight. When you go to sleep, think about it. Because if it stings, there's probably some truth in that. Uh-huh. Maybe not a lot, but a little. And what it does is it gives you an opportunity to become a better version of you. You, be- you get to become a better human being. So then it becomes my responsibility when you've given me that feedback. Maybe Jeff said something to me that has some validity to it. If I'm open to that and I, I internalize that and I think about it, that's really a blessing. I mean, that's really what love looks like is holding boundaries. We we talk about boundaries in the clinical side so much, but do we really know what boundaries means or, you know, what they can do for a person? For the most part, no. Exactly. Um, you know, it. what I'm getting from you is that the, the value of the feedback isn't necessarily the, the thing that's being said to you, like I, I could be giving you feedback and I'm doing my best to give you feedback. You can tell I'm being genuine. Maybe I'm completely off base, but the, the, the value comes from you listening to what I have to say, not arguing back, internalizing it and then stopping. I know when you hit, when your head hits the pillow, actually trying to process through what I'm saying, maybe trying to find if there may be, maybe what I said wasn't quite right, but what can I take from it to make it right? That just the, the, the process of, of you downloading what I had to say is where the change happens. Not, not in some grand wisdom that I bestow upon you. It's the process that you go through in hearing me. That's exactly right. You know, if you look at human beings and, and you don't have to be an addict to learn this, we react on our emotions. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you just give yourself 30 seconds and every one of us in our lives <clears throat> have 30 seconds to take a pause and think about that emotion and just sit in it, it'll change the outcome of what you're about to say or do. Mm. But we never do that because we react on our emotions. 
now. Yeah. We react. We don't even, we, I don't even think we take enough time to process the emotion we're experiencing. We just act on it. And then, you know, and then we're in handcuffs or then we're going, why did I say that? (laughs) Right. And the wife's saying, get out. (laughs) Right. Right. Or later on, we look back on that and then we look and then, and then again, rather than leaning back into it again, we move it. We point fingers in all other directions. Like he had done this, I wouldn't have done that and so on and so forth. So did you, so did you complete the other side Academy? Did you graduate I, from there? I did. Um, yeah. I, so I stayed the two years, graduated, beat my prison sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And then I went in and I asked not, I asked the keyword to stay another year because mm-hmm. I like who I was becoming and I wanted to give back to the place that had saved my life. Mm-hmm. Literally. Uh, in fact, I'd still be in prison today, um, serving out my sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're doing things the right way and, and that, uh, the beauty of that program is, um, you don't ever have to leave. In fact, a lot of the peers I went through with are now staff members there and, and made it their life. Oh, wow. Um, so they don't depend on any funding. Uh, they, they have social enterprises. They completely support themselves as a nonprofit. They don't ask for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so they like, uh, they, they do like moving and stuff. Yeah. They've got okay, the number okay. one rated moving company, thrift boutiques, construction company. They completely mm-hmm. self-sufficient. So, okay one thing I love about the model is you can stay there the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. When the insurance runs out in 30 days, you're not going to get asked to leave. You, mm-hmm. can, you can stay there forever. Wow. Um, which is an amazing thing to have because, you know, and, and I'm clinically educated now and I see that happen a lot is, uh, you know, they don't do their Medicaid application. So now their Medicaid's run out. Well, you got to go. We can't provide services. Right. And right, it right. sucks. Right. Uh, so I love that part about that model. Um, <laughs> well, dude, you, good luck asking a clinician. Hey, should we, we got to go move this house today? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I could just go on and on about the the things that I lo- love about that place. Um, but you were there three years total then. Yeah. So okay. I spent three years wow. there, um, you know, and at three years I felt like I was ready. Um, I had learned what I needed to learn and, you know, the way, the way I saw it was there were things inside the model that I, you know, wanted to know more about on the clinical side. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, so it's not like I'm rare or special by any means, but I possess a few things that, you know, per se that some may not. So, you know, being a veteran, I understand their services and I understand veterans because I am one, uh, which is a population that I'm very passionate about and wanting to help and work with. And then two, I, I spent three years in a therapeutic model and I understand it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've traveled to Spain and England and looked at the TCs and their models. So I understand the model really well. And then I decided I want to go to college and clinically educate myself. So I call it the trifecta. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I can bring a different side of my clinical space because of the therapeutic that I have. So as a therapist, I'm probably not the most lovey feely guy. Like I'm going to call you on your shit. Probably mm-hmm. not like some clinicians would because of my TC background. Right. Because I know the value of accountability boundaries and those things. Um, and I've had really good success with it. So, so yeah, I wanted to educate myself. Um, so leaving the Academy, I knew, you know, of course the cards were stacked against me because I, you know, and I, I don't sugarcoat or hide anything. I have 43 felonies on my criminal background, Wow, uh, which is a lot. 
Well, yeah. You really that's, went for it, man. Yeah. Well, no, because I think yeah. about like... Um, if you're going to be good, be good at yeah, it. Yeah. I bet I wasn't good, obviously. <laughs> well, right. Like, I just think about like... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's really cool because anybody that is trying to turn their life around sometimes, I think that they look at that and they may be like, dude, I can't. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Absolutely. And, and like, I, I'm kind of... Because you... I mean, obviously... The university is a little bit different. I mean, if anything, well, maybe, I don't know. You, you might be able to speak to this. I, I, I would think sometimes I look at university when I'm, because I've reviewed applications, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of think that uh, if I see a turnaround like that, that to me adds some credibility to those things and we pay attention to those things. Sure. Um, I mean, 43 felonies to graduating with your MSW is remarkable. With an aggravated robbery being my latest charge. Right. Of a crime right. that most people are like, no. What was the, what was the, um what was that doppel thing like? I mean, because people sometimes would be like, because they'll, they'll have rules and then people like well screw that i can't do it like what i mean what was that process like so you know i'll answer that but i want to mention something that you just brought up oh yeah Um, from day one so you know just because i made a mistake doesn't mean i am one yeah and i know the minute we check that box you know life is different rather you can dispute that shit all you want but it's the truth Mm -hmm. rather it's housing jobs it affects us as convicted felons um I wanted to prove that I'm not going to be that statistic and I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, but I I don't care about my title as a CSW or any of that stuff. What I care about is showing other people with criminal backgrounds that you can go on and reinvent yourself Mm -hmm. if you're willing to put in the work. And I tell people all the time, and I'll argue this with anybody, the thing we destroy, and it's not just addiction, but if you look at everything in life that gets to a point where there's problems, it's trust. We, we lose trust. And there's one way to get trust back. It's a formula. It's time and consistency. Mm, that's right? Good. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to put in the time and be consistent doing the right thing over and over and over until it becomes you, then you'll get that trust back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, And most people are not willing to do that. And it doesn't just have to be with addiction. So when I work with guys, I tell them all the time, time and consistency equals trust. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to do that, you'll get the life that you deserve. But, you know, as we see in addiction, most people are not willing to put in the time or the consistency. Um, I mean, they're already kind of in immediate gratification mode anyway. It's hard to get time and consistency is not a story they want to hear. Not a story they want to hear, but true fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the University of Utah, when I graduated, um, I'm actually now an ambassador for them. And I have two students I work with who have criminal backgrounds Mm -hmm. that I'm I work with to help them, you know, to see that, Hey man, this is doable. Oh yeah. You know, that's super cool. So yeah. And and that's, you know, that's really, so, you know, I ask this question to a lot of people and I very rarely get the answer that I believe is the right answer. And there is no wrong answer, but I'll I'll ask you to, if you Uh could, if you could describe, don't blow it, Jeff, uh, pure happiness, true happiness in life in one single word, just one word. What would your one word be? One word, one word, one word. I want to say content, but that's not it either. That's what I was leading into. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll, I'm, I'm going to roll with that without without a chance to think about it. I'm just going to go with content. Okay. First thing that came to mind was a content, but that's pretty. I can't match Jeff. Uh, it's okay. You can have the same answer. Yeah. There is no wrong. Just answer. say contempt. Contempt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, and I, and I speak this from my <clears throat> own life experiences, not from a textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I think you know the most important thing we can do in our lives that will give us happiness is when we learn what the one word is service, 
right? It's doing something for someone when nobody's looking or expecting mm-hmm. anything in return. To mm-hmm. give you purpose and meaning. Yes. God when you me. learn what service means to serve another human being, it changes your life. And you, you tell me how many people you know in your life that truly live service every day of their lives. How, how are you? How are you looking at it? What What are you? What are you calling service? Service, as in, uh, are you more worried about what you think you need or want versus what others may need or want? Do you ever think I'm not about, good at that. Do you ever think about I want that new TV, but you know what? I could give a hundred bucks to whatever. You know, I'm pretty selfish. <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, hell, even even seeing someone on the street, you know, with disheveled clothes and how many times do you ever walk up to them and just say, hello, man, how are you doing? Like, right. you know, what's going on with you? Right. Like, yeah, I think it was, there's so many ways you could describe probably, a service. Probably right about the time you were over at the Berlin wall. I learned from Conan, crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the limitations of their women. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just based my life off that. Yeah. So, <laughs> definitely not service yeah. oriented. That's about when Conan came out. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, when you ask that question, I think is the word, consciously in your mind on a daily basis do you look for ways to serve others and i think most people probably could not answer that yeah no honestly to a yes even even sometimes i wonder um the it's tricky right like i think about um uh if you're doing something even out of of a charitable cause you know what i mean like Sometimes I'll do it. I'm like, what kind of tax write-off I get on that? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, the, yeah, I, go to the you know tax time, and I gave five hundred dollars to DI. What do I get? I, <laughs> it's always a motive. Yeah. yeah. I, Check I, your I, motives. I will bill. say though, like one of my favorite, one of my, Guilty. and I don't, I don't do it full time, but I do really like teaching. And and you know, one thing I, I've gotten from students is is I I think, um, and I'm not talking crap on anybody. I think they they say, hey, we know you really do care about us. And I do. And I, and I care yeah. about our industry. You know, I care I'm gonna, about it. I'm going to blow his head up. He does. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I really, no, I think in, and uh, to me, that's really rewarding, you know, because it's, I, I mean, it's not like I'm uh, taking in the big bucks there, That, but that, I love doing that. I love yeah. working with you guys. That's service. Yeah. You know? That's finding a way to serve others. And it's like, you know, especially in our field, uh, you know, it's stressful, man. We, we deal with a lot of trauma and on a daily basis and it takes a toll and, uh, you know, none of us are getting rich doing it. And so, you know, it's, it's serving others. Mm-hmm. And and that's just where I know that I need to spend the rest of my life for me to be happy. That's mm-hmm. where I find happiness in my life is through service. And I, I didn't even know what that word that's meant. That's awesome. You you said something now that is, I'm going to come, come back to Cause it makes sense. So you were, you were talking about that you did two years at the other side and then an extra year where you stayed on as a staff. And you, you said, yeah, how as a you, student, but to give back. Yeah. And, and, and you'd said something like, I, I learned everything I needed. You know, I, I, I got what I needed to learn at that point. And so as in the moment, I was kind of logging that in my head because in our field, when somebody becomes fully, li- well, your, your field now too, when somebody becomes fully licensed, a lot of times they're like, I've arrived, you know, and they, they kind of stop. Fatal mistake. Learning. I know, Fatal exactly. Mistake. That complacency just traps them into place. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it's interesting when you said that, I was, I, I was going to ask you in my head, I was like, well, what was it he was learning when he stayed on that extra year? And I mean, I guess, I guess he just answered it. It was, it, you, you, you are now in the driver's seat as being the dude with the feedback that could maybe try to help people. But you were like, even so you were still going through your own process. I mean, it's not like you were a finished product and no. you didn't see yourself as a finished still product. Still not a finished product. Yeah, and so that's where the service comes in. So yeah. that extra year was you were helping out, but it was also for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's because I could have I could have left. I'd beaten my uh, prison sentence, and there was nothing holding me. And you know, to commit another year, you know, when you've gone without a cell phone or you know had any in a relationship or any of those things we all want, uh, it's a big commitment. But mm -hmm. you know, it was worth it to me to finally do something unselfishly. Uh, not you know, I call it the I want, I want, I need, I need. Right. And I, I took a look at my life and I said, you know, what I need and what I want is to give back and share um, what I've learned to some of these younger students. So, well, yeah. so when. So you're you're facing five to life and you, you know, the opportunity to go at the other side comes up. I'm assuming here I'm assuming that your motivation and intention in signing up for the other side at the time that you were offered that deal differed from what you ended up motivation and intention wise in staying that extra year. You're absolutely right. I didn't go there to change my life. I right. went there to beat a prison sentence. Yep. Mm -hmm. I didn't what, go when there. Did to that, save my when life. did that connect for you then, man? You know, I get that. I get asked that a lot and I can tell you. Um, so throughout the course of your time there, one of the things they do is at lunchtime, they had a, a seminar every day and it was to teach people how to articulate their words, speak publicly, because most of them have never done that. Mm -hmm. um, very once in a while, every four or five months, the staff would ask uh, the students, they say, you know, I want you to get up and I want you to name a name of someone who has made a difference in your life. And I'd probably been there seven, eight months, mm -hmm. um, still trying to beat a prison sentence, not really bought okay. in. Um, you know, and usually people would say one or two names or they'd mention staff. And I think I had, you know, six or seven guys mention my name and that was my aha moment. You know, I realized right then and there that I now have a responsibility. Like I am making a difference in another person's life. You didn't recognize it at the time. Huh? Until, no, okay. I, wow. I had no idea. And you know, what? it was just by doing the simple things that matter most that we all lose sight of connecting. Mm-hmm. Just going and having a conversation with someone and spending some time with them, getting to know them, those things matter. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize the impact it was having on these younger students. Mm -hmm. um, and when you assume that kind of responsibility and power, and we all have the same when we work with clients, we're literally changing people's lives by what we're telling them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, It's a big deal. And so that was my aha moment. And, and that's when I really think I learned what serving another human being is like. Um, if I have the ability to help another human being want to stay here and fight for their life, man, that's powerful. And I don't want to be that guy, you know, to just take that for granted. It's a big deal. That so. is, that is powerful, man. Like, I mean, imagine like that, 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 that you were, they were learning something from you to the degree that that was a reason why they kept continued to go to and fight for their life. Right. Right. Or, or, you know, you're running a group or you're the therapist and they're like, man, like, you know, this, I feel like this guy's really, that's why, I mean, our work intrinsically becomes really rewarding at that point, despite whatever Absolutely. your paycheck says on there, like that, that becomes really rewarding. And I like that too, from, for students, because I mean, and you know, like in the, in the Sudsy program, there's a lot of folks that do have a history of addiction and yeah. I think they doubt their ability to pull this off. Absolutely. And of course, I, I mean, I can always be like, oh no, 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 there's ways around this, you know, but I mean, you <laughs> look at me, you know, <laughs> I'm good with students, but I'm like, I'd be like, I'm trusting this lunatic, you just talk for 20 minutes about Tom Cruise, like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? But like, I think coming from you, if you're that, like you said, you're the ambassador for that, that's like real world. Oh no, no, this is how you do it. This is how it goes. And, and I mean, it's not like a competition, but I think, uh, 
the 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 mark of having the the forty three felonies mm-hmm. and still being able to come it. I mean, that's that's saying something like I, I think that it would inspire and give hope to a lot of kids who are on the, on the come up. Yeah, for sure. You know, and you asked me, and and just real quickly, I'll share this. I uh, so of course, you know, I was denied back into the bachelors because I had relapsed back when I first started and mm-hmm. just bagged it. Um, you know, I was denied the first time I applied for the masters because of my background, I had to meet with the committee and talk about my criminal past and mm-hmm. overcame that. And then of course, when I applied for my study, I was denied and I had to gather three months worth of information, spent like 800 bucks getting police reports and letters of reference and all of this other stuff. Um, you know, overcame that mm-hmm. was issued. My license it was a huge moment for me. Um, that's so cool, dude. Had a little trouble with the CSW, not as much because they went off of some of my Sudsy stuff. So, you know, to come from where I should be, you know, sitting in a prison cell, um, to you know, finishing the bachelor's, the master's, the Sudsy, you mm-hmm. know, um. Like I say, I I don't care about those titles. What I care about is in hopes to inspire others that, you know, you can, you can do this. And people ask me all the time, well, you know, like the students I was with, man, you know, how am I going to talk to them like you do? And, you know, and I tell them, look, it's, it's simple. Uh, don't ever act like you know what you're talking about if you don't. Right. You know, try saying, Absolutely. I have no idea what it's like to be in prison, but I would love to learn. That's right. humility. Yeah. yeah. And I would love to listen for you to tell me, and then I can share what I learned to maybe help you rather than mm-hmm. DBT says do a behavioral <laughs> Shut them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so you're right. It's humility. It's being humble and, and not trying to teach something you don't know. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, right now, you know, I'm, I'm putting like 75, 80 hours a week. So I work Valley behavioral health part-time in the forensics as a therapist, uh, in their intensive and outpatient. And then I'm full-time in Tooele at Warrior Spirit, which Mm -hmm. is a native American treatment facility as a full-time therapist, Mm -hmm. which is residential. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix and I really love it. Um, you know, just prior to that, I was working with the other side village and mm-hmm. they're the ones that are building the 440 tiny cottage homes for the homeless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I love that organization. I, I just, it's a cool organization. Yeah, Man. I just had a problem because I couldn't get licensed there with my supervision hours and mm-hmm. that. So wonderful organization, amazing what they're doing. So, you know, yeah, I'm just, you know, getting all my supervision at Warrior Spit and waiting to take the exam. And well, one thing I can say about you, man, is like, see, and this is, so, uh, by the way, you won't have any problems with that exam. I know people worry about that, but you'll nail it. Um, what I will say, though, is is that's a uh, so, so and, and people will be able to notice this, too. And I've noticed this in talking to you here. And I noticed this early on, too, um, just listening to you when we, when we were having discussions in class was um, like your ability to just, uh, again, talk in a way that just seems genuine. You know, yeah. Um, I, I think that that is a ta- it's not a talent. It's just a feature, a characteristic about sure. you that um, I think is going to take you a long way with clients. Like um, you're, you're not wrong. Like, you know, I, I think I told you a million times I'm a huge fan of CBD. Um, but I, I don't deliver it in a way that is distasteful, you know, like everything. Um, I I have a personality of my own. I always grease the wheels with everybody I do. And then by the time I deliver, it's like, you didn't even know what was happening. Exactly. And those, that's, I think where, um, 
that innate piece about you is like such a good quality. I don't think for, you don't have any problems with the exam, but I think that that that'll take your career a long way as a, as a therapist. I yeah. think that'll be really valuable for you and for your clients. So yeah, as far as being a, 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 a person of service, I don't think you're gonna have any problems with that. That's going to be, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my most important thing when I go in uh, any situation with a new person that I haven't worked with is, is, working on that trust because it, I, I didn't even know what the word trust meant. And so time and consistency with that person, building that trust to maintain that therapeutic relationship. Um, when you get that change happens, you know? And so I honestly, truthfully, uh, got into this because I want to help people. Um, I'm not a fan of the notes and all the billing stuff, but, uh, <laughs> That's why I got into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeff's and like, there dude, are no I special. Love there are no special <laughs> few. And that sounds like Jeff's one of them. But uh, yeah, it's it's about you know helping another human being, and it's those things we don't say that we need to say that that change people's lives. Cool. So yeah, yeah I mean it's it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, you know, I've overcome a lot, and I've worked really hard to get to where I'm at. But it's all in hopes of inspiring others that you can reinvent your life if you're willing to be mm-hmm. you know consistent and put in the time i would wager that a lot of people listening to this have been inspired absolutely by that story. that's yeah. super cool so yeah you've well, earned your stripes you yeah, know, yeah. No, did he yeah. beat amy though <laughs> i'm get, kidding get, amy get we love you come on we, we love amy amy yeah, yeah, yeah. good amy's people, the man. best okay she, she's amazing. Amazing. yeah <laughs> cool. well, thanks for coming on brother we appreciate yeah, it And that about does it for this episode of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun listening as we've had making it. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and share it with a friend to help us grow. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.